Let's uh, pray for our time in the word. We thank you, Lord, for this day, all the great things that this means. We thank you first and foremost that you are our almighty Father, that we have the privilege and the honor through Jesus Christ to come to you, to gather together as your people, to hear your voice, to sit at your feet, to be reminded that you are holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There is none like you. So we pray that we may experience a glimpse of that holiness today and that we might be changed by it. We might be brought near to your kingdom. And as we have heard Isaiah say, here we are, send us. We pray this in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So in, um, in a Baptist church where the pastor gets ready before the church, there's a picture of Jesus. In a Catholic church, there's a picture of Mary. In an Anglican church, there's a mirror because it's not easy to get into all this stuff and make it right. Um, it, is, uh, it is unique that these symbols, whether it's the vestments we wear, the things on the table, the crosses, all the things, they are pointing us to a higher and greater reality that God is holy and we are to come together and worship in the holiness and the beauty of the Lord it is great to be with you for this first time and hopefully many, many to come and a great opportunity to worship together this morning. And um, as Kevin and I have talked over the years, I'm so thankful for your leadership and your call and what the Lord is doing here at Church of the Lamb. It will be exciting to see what unfolds over the years to come. Andrew, also, um, I'm very excited and honored to, to be able to participate in this service with you. It is, the, as Kevin mentioned, the first ordination of a priest. I mentioned last night, um, if you think he's nervous, I'm way more nervous. So perhaps you've been asked, where were you when dot, 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 when JFK was shot? For some of you, when Woodstock happened? or Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, or Princess Diana and Charles were married, or when the Berlin Wall came down, or 911, or when the great North American theologian Justin Bieber released his first album in 2007. <laughs> I like to ask, what were you doing, or where were you, for those of you who were alive, on May 12, 1986? I want you to think about this for a moment. Think hard. I was in a movie theater in Enid, Oklahoma, and I was watching for the first time Top Gun, Highway to the Danger Zone. You've lost the love and feeling. I feel the need for speed. You don't know me that well, so you don't know my sense of humor yet, but just hang with me. Angela Kay and I went to Top Gun the other night, the second one, the better one. It was actually a really good movie. How many of you have seen Top Gun? You all need to get out more. Um, the movie is about a threat from another government and how Maverick, 
who's washed up and used up and is about to be sent out to pasture, trains a new generation of pilots to save the world. I won't spoil anything for you, but what runs through the story is this web of relationships, vocation. I'm a fighter pilot. Friendship, sonship, fatherhood, motherhood, loyalty, love, community, and redemption. You know, the first Top Gun was certainly a significant event. It was there that I decided I was going to be a Navy pilot. (laughs) See how that worked out for me. Our lives are marked by significant events and times. The prophet Isaiah is a remarkable prophet. Scholars would say the writing of Isaiah is Hebrew at its highest. He was the son of a priest. Most think he was possibly a priest himself. Isaiah prophesied and taught and lived under four kings in Judah. And most of them were not so good. His message was this. The Lord is my salvation. There is hope even when things come crumbling down. Because the Lord is our salvation. So what I want to chat this morning with you about are three thoughts out of this great passage. First, I want you to see the, inf- the power of faith-shaking events. Secondly, the holiness of God. And thirdly, the, that we are made clean for God's purposes. So faith-shaking events, the holiness of God, and that we are made clean for God's purposes. So first one, the faith-shaking event. Isaiah, his call to be a prophet in the land comes in the midst of a catastrophic, world-changing event for his people. King Uzziah, the great king of Judah, who in the annals of Israel's history was a pretty good king, sort of blew it at the end, but for 52 years, this king brought security and stability and prosperity to the nation. And upon his death, it left the whole world of Judah in insecurity and fear and wonder. King Uzziah ruled as the impending doom was coming upon Judah. Assyria had just sacked the northern kingdom. And so the people were wondering, what's going to happen to us? And God called Isaiah to be a prophet to remind them of his purposes and his promises. I want you to think about this this morning. What has God promised you in this life? He has not promised you everything will work out well. That if you work hard, you'll be rewarded. That if you just obey, good things will come your way. He has not promised those things to us. Isaiah's reminder to his people was this. What God has promised to us is that he will be with us no matter what happens. His promises are his presence. The Lord is not panicked in uncertainty. Isaiah 66, God says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What does that imply? He's not shaken by the circumstances of this world. 
The word even for Lord in Isaiah chapter 6 is Adonai, which means the sovereign one. In the midst of this earth-shaking event of Isaiah's time and his people, the Lord reminds them, I am your salvation. I am your hope. And friends, I know this truth through life. I'm 52 years old. Whatever I put my hope into that is not the Lord quickly and often disappoints. It's true today. It was true back then. And what God does in this heavenly vision is he takes Isaiah into the throne room in a vision. And that throne room adjusts Isaiah's perspective. Our problems and our circumstances They rob us from perspective to see what God's purposes and plans are. This is why God calls Isaiah in the midst of this shaking. Have you ever been shaken? Has your life been shaken by circumstances? It's often in the shaking that clarity comes and that we see the call of God. Which brings me to the second point. Isaiah's experience of the holiness of God. The impact of him seeing God high and lofty. His train filling the temple. There's this parallel in Revelation chapter 4. Listen to this. The writer John says, after this, after these tribulations and these difficult things, he says... After this, I looked, and there was before me a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. There's a sense of worship that is drawing near. Latreia means to draw near as if to embrace. But there's also a sense of worship which is to be utterly flattened on your face and overwhelmed with the holiness of God. I think Anglican services do it best when we blend together this formality with informality. This sense that what we're doing in here is holy things for holy people. Holiness is taking God very seriously. Self-righteousness is taking ourselves too seriously. The word holy means kadash. It means to be cut off, to be removed. A class of your own. Utterly singular. Set apart. Completely, utterly separate. Objects and people can be set apart for noble purpose. Andrew, today we are setting you apart for a noble purpose. Listen to Exodus 40. Moses tells the people, 
Place the altar of burnt offering in the front of the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, this place of holiness. Place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Set up the courtyard around it and put the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. Take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle with everything in it. Consecrate it and all its furnishings and it will be holy. Bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then dress them in sacred garments. Anoint him and consecrate him so that he may serve me as a priest. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics. Anoint them just as you anointed their father so they may serve me as priests. Their anointing will be to a priesthood that will continue throughout their generations. Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him. The holiness of God is his most noted attribute. Now in our culture, we are very friendly and informal. We like to think of God's attributes as his love, his mercy, his grace, and those are true. But his holiness runs through all of them. God's love for you is a holy love. His grace to you is a holy grace. He's called holy in the book of Isaiah 30 times. The Holy One of Israel. Even when the demons see Jesus, they call him the Holy One of Israel. In the whole Bible, the word holy is used 637 times. But there's two places where the word holy is added triple word holy, the trihagion. It's to emphasize his central core character. Holy, holy, holy. No other attribute is repeated like this. We don't say God is love, 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 or God is grace, 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 although he is very much those things. And most of us would probably pick some other attribute or characteristic to extol. His mercy, his love. But Isaiah's vision of God is his holiness. Why is holiness so important? It's kind of an odd word. We don't use it very much. We wouldn't say something's holy. His holiness makes a distinction between us and him. We are not God. We are not even like a God. He is completely unique. And without Jesus, no one comes close to him. Philip asked Jesus in the New Testament, could you just show us the Father? And Jesus says, Philip, if you see me, you see the Father. For I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Why? Because we cannot approach God in his holiness without Jesus. His holiness also shines light on corruption. Isaiah, in seeing this immense vision of God, says, Woe is me! For I am undone. Another translation says, I am ruined. 
When's the last time you've had an encounter of God's holiness and it smacks you and it reminds you of his beauty and his majesty and our fragility and our weakness? Isaiah's exposure to the holiness of God is his undoing. It's as if he was seeing almost a mirror display, God's holiness in his life, and he's confronted with who he is and how he is. This happens in other places. In the book of Job, when God sees, when Job sees God in his magnificent vision in Tempest, he says, I abhor myself. John, in the book of Revelation, falls. He says, I saw a vision and I fell at my feet as a dead man. Peter, when he sees Jesus at the Sea of Galilee in the fish catch moment, he says, I am an unclean man. Stay away from me. A.W. Tozier once said, We cannot grasp the true meaning of the divine holiness by thinking of someone or something very pure and then raising the concept to the highest degree we're capable of. Let's take someone really holy, maybe um, Mother Teresa, and raise her up. No, 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 no. God's holiness is not simply the best we know, infinitely better. We know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unattainable. Holy is the way God is. To be holy, he does not conform to a standard. He is the standard. And what does Isaiah experience in this vision, in this confrontation of God's holiness? He recognizes that he lives among a people and he is a person that does not value truth. We live in a day that no longer values truth. We value our story, our narrative, our identity. Truth is irrelevant. Image is everything. It was like this in Isaiah's day as well. And he's confronted with this. And he comes to ruin because of it. Holiness then requires purity. One of the angels, the seraphim, flew to me, having in his hand a live coal taken from the tongs of the altar, and he touched my mouth, Isaiah says. Andrew, we're going to institute this practice today. <laughs> Behold, the angel says, your iniquity, your stains of your life are taken away, and your sin is purified Holiness, to stand in the holiness of God, requires our purity. Unholiness cannot exist in God's presence. It is either destroyed or removed. The book of Isaiah contains the most numerous prophecies about the Messiah who will come and remove the iniquity of the people of God. Isaiah 1, 18, come, let us reason together. Let us talk about this. 
I occasionally have to have a family powwow. We have five children. I sit them down and I say, let's reason together. <laughs> let's have a conversation, right? My oldest son would always look at me and say, dad, bro, we got beef? And I said, I'm not your bro, and we got some beef. <laughs> Isaiah says, come, let's reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, red, they may be made white as snow. Isaiah says later in 50, chapter 53, you know this passage well if you've been around the church. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Paul says it another way. God who made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. One of the reasons why when I started, um, when I became an Anglican, started attending the Anglican church, I always wondered, why do the clergy wear these white robes? Is that a fashion statement? It's not. And trust me, if we were wearing these last week, we would be sweating. One of the things that robe symbolizes for you, as you see it, is not our, our um, status or our privilege, but the righteousness that we're wrapped in. It's your way of seeing that image and saying that's what happens to us in Christ Jesus. His life and death and sacrifice has brought us near to God. We can stand in his presence. Holiness then motivates us to action. And this brings me to my last point this morning. Made clean for purpose. After these, this image of this coal touches Isaiah's mouth and his sins are taken away, God has something to say to him. Who shall I send? Think about that. He has cleansed the sin of Isaiah and God's voice comes. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah's response to being made clean in righteousness by God's work is to say, here I am. Send me, Lord. Now, I've been a pastor for 26 years. And I've often marveled at announcements at church where they trot out someone who works with children and they bring a little child and they say, these children are lonely and they're hurting and we need volunteers in the nursery. And they dish out tremendous guilt upon you to goad you into serving in the nursery. This is not the way the kingdom of God works. It's not through guilt and shame. Little lonely children. 
who will cover them? But rather, it's a response to the holiness of God, His mercy in our life. To be made righteous motivates us to action, to say, thank you, Lord. Now send me wherever it is you desire. Andrew, I want to tell you a few things that you face today. It is a difficult time to serve in Christian leadership. A recent poll says that 40% of pastors are looking at leaving ministry. We know from other statistics that people who go into ministry, more than 80% who go into full-time vocational ministry leave within five years. It's difficult, and it's getting more difficult. Why is that? Well, I think Isaiah's words are a truth to us. It's because we live among a people of unclean lips. And we are people with unclean lips. There is no longer truth. And truth is our tool. The truth about Jesus. To speak truth about him, not ourselves. Paul says, we don't commend ourselves. We preach Christ crucified. Why would anyone want to do what you're doing because of the encounter of God because an experience of his holiness because of the gift of his mercy and grace in our lives because we come to the end of ourselves and we see his beauty and we his glory and we fall down in worship and we can't not do anything else but serve the Lord Ministry is not a good way to make a living. On December 4th, 2002, Thad Barnum, Bishop Thad Barnum, came and ordained me as a priest. And afterwards, my parents, who were not excited about my call to ministry, they said, we wish you would do something else. And they were not dishonest in their words. My dad handed me a little plaque. I still have it in my office. And it says, ministry, the pay isn't great, but the benefits are out of this world. (laughs) But if you are cleansed by God's grace, you will want to serve him. Let me say that again. If you're cleansed by the grace of God, you will want to serve him. You want to flourish in this world? you want to be a whole balanced person, then you seek, strive for, search for, and gaze upon the holiness of God. And your life will come into clear meaning. Andrew, we want to bless you today as you seek this call. I want to remind us all, as we watch what is happening to Andrew, this setting apart, Be reminded that in Christ, you are set apart. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are to be holy as God is holy. And you will see his face.
and you will experience his glory. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for the mercy of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who has brought us near to you, who has cleansed us of our sin, who has made us pure and holy. Forgive us, Lord, our sins and strengthen us to be your people in this day and for your glory. We pray in his name. Amen.